It is great to see you here tonight. If you did not know, we are ordaining six men into our deacon body. I told them to sit down front, right in front of me, and as you see how well they obeyed me. But that's how deacons do it, isn't it? They, uh, they break off early, don't they? You, you know, the, the Cindy and I eat out a lot because when you're old and you're alone and it's just you, it's sometimes, what are y'all laughing about? What, did I miss something? But anyway, we do. So this, this ties into the sermon, I promise you. And, you know, a lot of the restaurants we go to would probably not be considered Broadway type. You know, they're, they're, they're middle class restaurants. Does that make sense? Am I making sense? And so the person a lot of times who's waiting on your table is the one who sets the table, may clean the table, may cook. You know, they may do a lot of that stuff. But, you, you know, it, they're a table waiter and a table setter. I mean, they get you ready and they take care of you. They, and, and in every true sense of the word, they're, they're serving you, aren't they? They're getting you prepared and, and they're, they're, they're getting you uh, your food and what you want. And tonight we're going to talk about the phrase being a table setter. We're going to be in Acts chapter 6 for just a minute. And then we're going to go to Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2. Uh, if you don't like the way I put table setter on the the, uh, the screen, I will blame it on somebody else later who is a grammatical expert. Um, and I'll give you Teddy Allen at Teddy at lawtech.edu.net.org.net.org. And uh, you can correct him on, on the, my, my grammar. We're ordaining six guys. Let me, guys, raise your hands. Uh, Stephen, Matt, David, Mike. Did I miss anybody? Chris. One more, isn't there? And Bill. Bill, what are you doing way back there, Bill? Hiding from us. Well, these are our guys. Listen, I'm preaching directly to you all. Ladies, tell your husbands to listen tonight. Uh, but I'm preaching to all of us because this, this, uh, I believe this all applies to all of us uh, in, in, our, in our lives, in our walk with Jesus Christ. So let's talk about this. Let's begin with this. Deacons and Christians are to be table setters. Literally, we are, we are to be people who are setting the table uh, in life. In, in Acts chapter 6, Acts chapter 6, it's interesting. This is the chapter, these first seven verses, that, that a lot of scholars believe the office of deacon is birthed from, where it comes from. And, and I believe that is correct, and I'm not speaking as a scholar, but I'm speaking as someone who reads them. It begins now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, that, that, that's Christianity is growing, disciples increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenistics arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. Now, the Hellenistics are the Greek Christians, the, the, the Greek people who converted to Christianity. The Hellenistics are the more Jewish people. And, uh, excuse me, the Hebrews are the, the Jewish people. And there, there's a rip, and, and it may be a very real problem. We don't know if it, if it was being exaggerated or not. But one group is saying, you are overlooking our group. You're having a little prejudice here, it looks like. They're saying, you're neglecting us, and they're doing it by ethnic bases here, uh, and, and not taking care of ours. And, folks, the church is doing great. It's exploding. It's booming. And now there arises a problem with potential 
to derail it. Keep that in mind. In verse 2, it says, And the twelve summoned the full number. The twelve is the, the disciples, the apostles, the full number of the disciples. It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now, if you're, you're taking notes, that word serve is a key word in there. And if you're right, taking notes, you could write 1 Timothy 3, 8 but besides that because the same word here used as a verb to serve tables is used as a noun in 1 Timothy 3, 8, and it's translated deacon. Isn't that interesting, servant and deacon? In verse 3, it says, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you the seven men, seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Now, man, you're seeing a tremendously important thing here. The church has got thousands of people now. They have 12 ministers and they can't do it all. They can't do it all. So they say, we've got to have somebody to help us. And so what they do is they choose these seven men, and we believe that this is the first position, the first deacons to help out in this ministry area. And verse 5 and 6, when they said what they said, please the whole gathering. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Precarius, and Achaia, Timian, Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. They set before the apostle these men, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. In, in just a minute, we're going to do the laying on of hands. And when we do that, this is a biblical tradition where it's a way we're saying tonight that we bless these men, that we honor these men that we're setting them apart, and that we recognize that God has a call and a position on them. But, you know, here's what I want to go back to, what I think is interesting. The word deacon, what it literally means is it means servant. At one of my churches, I had a guy. He was a wonderful guy. I mean, he was really a great friend, a great guy, and he'd been chosen to be a deacon. So I'm, I'm meeting with these deacons three or four times, and we're having kind of deacon training. And I asked him the first time, I said, what, do you, what does it mean to you that you're going to get to be a deacon? Now, here's what he said. I'm going to have more power in the church. I said, turn to uh, Acts chapter 6, and let's discuss this real quick. Now, here's the deal. That's all he had seen and known in his life. In verse 2, the word serve there is translated deacon. Here's what that word means. It means to wait upon. It means to serve. It means to help. Listen, it means to labor in the dust. Are you guys sure you want to be deacons now? Herschel Hobbes, the great Baptist scholar, said the word deacon literally meant a menial servant. Wow. I believe this with all my heart. I believe deacons are, are, are people who are leaders by virtue of who they are. The title in the descri- job description is to be a servant. The wonderful thing about my friend in the other church, he got that. He was a fantastic deacon. And I would say about our deacons here, we are so blessed to have men who are servants and who understand that. What, 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 a, what a great thing this is. And by the way, did you know that this is the calling of every Christian? Did you know that? In Mark chapter 10, verse 43 through 45, listen to what Jesus says. But it shall not be among you, but whoever wants to be great among you must be your your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be what? Slave of all, verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Man, here is the, the heart Uh, of a deacon and of a Christian. We're servants. We're servants. When we talk about table setters, we're talking about people who ought to set the table. 
who ought to be willing to clean up the table and ought to be willing to reach out and help and make a difference. Y'all don't act like you like that at all. See, a lot of times I think people have felt like in the past being elected a deacon is being put in the Hall of Fame when it's really being drafted into service. But great people are servants. One, one man who was a college president said this. This is timeless. He said, you want to be a leader, you're going to be frustrated. Most people don't want to be led. You want to serve people, you're going to always have a place because everybody wants to be waited on. Amen. Everybody in here knows who Walt Disney is, correct? You know who Walt Disney is? I think we have a picture of Walt Disney. 1940, he was beginning to become very well-known. And a, and a man named Art Linkletter, who you all know who that name is, wanted to meet him. And they later became fast friends. And he, in 1940, he goes to one of Disney studios for a meeting. He's going to meet him. And when he gets there, he gets there early. Nobody's in this big room but one man uh, in the middle of the room setting up chairs. And so Linkletter goes to this custodian. And he says, excuse me, sir, can you tell me when Mr. Disney will be here? I, I need to see Walt Disney. And the guy shuffling the chairs turned around and smiled and said, I am Walt Disney. And you know what he said? He said, I learned a lesson. One of the greatest innovators there ever was was also a great servant. Folks, you want to be great? We're called to be table setters, literally. You men, I'm not just saying this as a, as a pastor The job of the deacon is not to run the church, it's to serve the church. It's it's to make the pastor's job easier, not harder. it's 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 to minister in our community. And again, don't say, well, I'm not a deacon, I don't have to do that. If you're a Christ follower, that's your calling to be a table setter. But I want to give you a second concept here this evening too. Deacons and Christians are also to set the table figuratively figuratively. That's the opposite of literal, if you don't know what I'm saying. Yes, we should set the table literally. We should literally be servants, but we also should set it figuratively. The, the gra- gra- grammar expert, Teddy, that I quoted earlier, gave me a great illustration this week when we were talking about table setters. Figuratively, Teddy said, in baseball, the leadoff hitter is called the table setter. Because his job is to get on base any way that he can so that the guys coming behind him, the power hitters, can hit the home run or hit the deep ball and that he can score. His job is to set them up for a big play in a big hit. That's a table setter. Folks, listen to me. Deacons, listen to me. New deacons, old deacons, in-between deacons, everybody. God has called you and me to be table setters. So we can set the table so God can work. Isn't that awesome? Listen, I cannot bring revival. I cannot save one soul, and neither can you, and neither can this church. But we can set the table where it can happen. Isn't that exciting? How do we set the table, deacons? This is your calling. How do we set the table, Christians? I want to give you four things we see in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. Number one, be a spiritual person. Shouldn't this be a given for a Christian, (laughs) for a deacon? Look in verse 14. All of these with one accord were devoting themselves to 
the prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Now, several weeks ago, we looked at some of these chapters in detail. So it's a quick review for some of you. Jesus had died. He had arisen. He spent 40 days appearing to the disciples from time to time. And now he's ascended back to heaven. And before he left, he said, guys, wait into Jerusalem until something fantastic is going to happen. And then you are, your fires are going to be lit and you're going to be changing the world. So they go back and they're meeting together. And what are they doing? I think they were singing. I think they were preaching. I think they were testifying. But you know what the Bible tells us specifically they were doing? They were praying. Folks, this is so neat. The church is fixing to be born. It's not born in a business meeting. It's not born in a denominational meeting, a committee meeting. It's born in a prayer meeting. Isn't that great? Do you love Jesus tonight? Two problems uh, if you don't. One, you're lost. We can remedy that. Or two, you, you've grown cold. A spiritual person, this isn't complicated. This isn't rocket science. This isn't weird. A spiritual person is someone who loves Jesus, who has an intimate relationship with Jesus, who has a close walk with Jesus. Deacons, we need you to be spiritual people. We don't set the table for God to work by not being spiritual people. Men, listen to this, and I don't, sadly, I don't doubt this. the, The Pew Research Company, several years ago, interviewed thousands of men and women, asked them about their spiritual life, and here's what they concluded. Women are more spiritual than men. Sadly, I, I think there's probably truth, not, not, not in every relationship, obviously, but I think there's truth to that. They asked ladies in, in this anonymous survey, and people do cheat up on this, but even cheating up, the men fell way behind. They asked ladies, how many of you pray every day? Women, it was 69%. Men, it was like 48 Wow. How many of you go to church weekly? Now, I, I promise you, I'm not talking to you, but people lie about this when you ask them on the phone. How often do you go to church? Oh, three times a month, four times. Ask people if they tithe. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and their church takes up $2,000 a year, but everybody ties. Isn't that weird? But anyway, they ask them. Uh, 44% of the women said they go to church every week. There's about 35% of the men. Men, listen. The Bible says reverse that. Men, let me get your attention. Wear the pants. But wear it as a godly man. Amen? A lot of men want to be big and big. Wear Wear them as a godly man. Wear them. Step up. But wear them as a godly spiritual person. Every person in here, man, woman, deacon, non-deacon, whatever your flavor is, if you love Jesus Christ, you invest your life in him and you be a spiritual person person. You be a person that's in love with Jesus Christ. Here's the second thing. Be a unifier. How do we set the table for God to work in our church, in our life? We're unifiers. Verse 14, I love this. All of them with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. One accord means just what you think. They, they were not just together physically. They were together spiritually. They were unified. They had one heart. Listen, I know what will ruin First Baptist 
And God is blessing us, and we've got a happy fellowship right now. You know what will run us quicker than anything else? I'm not worried about it being something out there. Now, that can happen. I mean, it's, it's happening in denominations and churches where they're embracing heresy and false teachings. Once you do that, the Holy Spirit takes his hand off you. But here's a scarier thing for our church. It, it will be what could happen in here versus what happens out there. We get to fighting, we get to bickering, we don't get our way, we don't like this, we don't like that. And you know what? The Holy Spirit takes his hand off of a church like that. I challenge you, be a unifier in this church. I don't know if this is true or not, but I heard an older pastor say one time he bumped into one of his, his, uh, his troublesome church members, and they'd had a, a business meeting the night before, and the guy said, Pastor, I'm sorry I missed it. I wanted to come and vote against something last night. Wasn't that funny a little bit to some of you? I mean, I, th- I thought it was funny. It's funnier when I practice it in my office. I always laugh and but you don't respond always with the cheer of Santa Claus. So Sunday morning, we're going to talk about tithing in hell so I can get y'all back. How about that? Now I've lost my train of thought as I was trying to to get on to you. But, (laughs) folks, there's a time to to vote no and to say no to things in your church or to to your deacon or to your pastor. That doesn't need to be your disposition. You new deacons, man, I challenge you. Don't stand before God someday and have to give an account of how you tore your church up. I, I wear that burden. I understand that. You, you older deacons, you non-deacons, whatever you are, <laughs> your flavor, be a unifier. Listen, John chapter 17, I want you to see these words. Jesus, Jesus is talking to you and me here. This is fa- famous words before he's going to go to the cross in the next day. The glory, God, that you have given me, I'm giving to them. He's talking about us. That they may be one even as we are one. In them and you and me, that they may be, become perfectly one so the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Now, we don't have time to look at all that tonight, but listen to what he's saying here. Jesus is praying for you and me. He prayed for his disciples then, and then he prayed for us. He's saying, God, give them the biggest buildings they can have. God, they need carpet and screens. He didn't pray that, did he? I like all that, by the way. But here's what he prayed for. God, I pray that my church will be unified like the Trinity is unified. Did you get that little nuance there? As the Father and the Son are unified, the next time you get mad about something that doesn't matter, get over it and help people get over it. If we're going to set the table for God to work, listen, God works in holy places and sweet places. You cannot remove either one of those ingredients. We set the table by being unifiers. Here's the third thing, and these all go together. Be spirit-filled. Be spirit-filled. Man, we, we talked about this a few weeks ago in detail, but look in verse 5 of chapter 1. For John baptized with water, I'm fixing to baptize you with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And we go over to, uh, to chapter 4. 
It says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit had given them utterance. What's going on here? Real quick. Complicated, but in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit didn't come on all God followers. Now the Holy Spirit is fixing to come on everybody who becomes a a Christian, a follower of God. The initial experience is called being baptized in the Spirit. You get baptized in the Spirit. Now, we can debate this, and this is fine, but this is basic Baptist theology, which I think is biblically right. You get baptized in the Spirit one time when you're saved. You get baptized in the Spirit. You get immersed in the Spirit. Now, synonymously, you're going to get filled with the Spirit at the same time. So when they got baptized in the Spirit in chapter 2, verse 4, they were filled with the Spirit. The word filled means controlled. Remember that, synonymous, controlled by the Spirit. You need to be filled with the Spirit every day. You need to have let the Spirit control you every day. How am I filled with the Spirit? I confess my sins. I try to stay pure. I start, try to stay close to God. Chapter 6, verse 3, and it talks about, look, therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men who are rich, have a lot of money, and a lot of power. Doesn't say any of that, does it? I want wise people and men full of what? Full of the Spirit. Full of the Spirit. How many of you remember an old preacher named Vance Havner? Vance Havner, I got to hear him one time. He was like 140 when I heard him. But, man, he was so good. And and he said this. This was going on in the 80s when people always argued about the Holy Spirit. And and charismatics had him and Baptists didn't. And Baptists were afraid of the Holy Spirit. And y'all remember that era? And and Vance Havner said to to a lot of us, the Holy Spirit is, is being filled with the Holy Spirit is an argument. It's not an experience. And Havner said, whatever it is, most Christians don't have it. Isn't that funny? See, if you're, an, if you're a traveling preacher, you can say that, can't you? Because you're not coming back next week. <laughs> Man, what's, what's having the Spirit, feel the Spirit? It's letting the Spirit control you. See, a lot of us, we've got the Holy Spirit. He's just bottled up in our big toe. Let him go. Let him go. How do we have a Spirit-filled church? Spirit-filled people. You go, Chris, we got 2,600 members. Some of them died in the Civil War. <laughs> we don't know where they are. Not everybody's going to be filled with the Spirit. You're exactly right. We've we got to have a mass majority. We, we can't, if we've got 900 people here on Sunday morning, if 20 aren't going to follow God and 880 are, we win. Deacons, be filled with the Spirit. Be controlled by the Spirit of God. That's my calling. That's your call. Be filled with the Spirit. We set the table. Listen, God shows up when his people are filled with the Spirit. We set the table when we're filled with the Spirit. Let him loose. Let him loose. And lastly, be a positive difference maker. And by the way, when you're doing all these three things, you're going to be. Chapter 2, verse 4. It says, and they were all filled with the Spirit. They began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Look in verse 11. Both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Now, we talked about this several weeks ago too. Speaking in tongues here was speaking in a foreign language they did not know. That, that's clear from the context. What are they saying when they're speaking in tongues here? They're honoring God. They're bringing glory to Jesus. They're pointing people to God. Their words are making a difference in chapter 6, verse 7. Now listen, let's go to that. 
They chose these deacons. The deacons go to work. Look what happens. And the word of God continued to increase. That literally means to multiply exponentially. The number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests, the Sadducees, became obedient to the faith. Isn't this a great story? What a great story. Here, the the church is at, at the very first when these people are filled with the Spirit and they're, they're spiritual people, the table's set and the Holy Spirit comes and 3,000 people are fixing to be saved. Uh, a, a few, uh, you, you jump ahead a little while. And you're in chapter 6. There's problems in the church. There's problems because there's people. Amen? When there's people, there's always going to be problems. Here's the solution. Let's get some deacons. The deacons go to work and it works out perfectly. And the church is unified. It's revived and... M- People are being saved everywhere. Isn't that great? Isn't that what you want to be known as? Don't you want to stand before God someday and him be able to look you in the eye and say, you made a positive difference in your church and your world. Wow, wouldn't that be great? People were saved. Your church was revived. I I, I felt welcome when I came to First Baptist. Wouldn't it be good to hear God say that? Because you were setting the table for it to happen. A man named Oswald Sanders, not Chambers, Oswald Sanders wrote a book called Spiritual Leadership, tremendous book. And he may have been the one that coined this. I've heard a lot of people say this, but he said leadership boils down to one word, influence. Now, Hitler had influence. You can have influence and it'll be terrible. But you go, well, I want to be a leader. Here's a, have, have positive influence. That's what a leader does. That's what a deacon ought to do. I remember hearing someone say very simply, what do I do as a leader? How can I be a good leader? Make things better. You know what? If, if I serve this church and, 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 I, and I leave here someday and retire, are you fire me and give me a $5 million buyout? If you follow athletics, you understand that. You know, if I can look God and God can say to me that I made this place better, I was a success. That's our calling. Make a difference. I want to read to you part of a letter very briefly. Uh, It it is from a man named Paul Jordan. I've never met Paul, but his brother was uh, my karate teacher and a professor here at Tech, Dr. David Jordan. For many years, Dr. Jordan was here at Tech, passed away recently. His brother, Paul, in his late 60s, two years ago, was ordained a deacon, and Dr. Jordan asked me to write his brother and encourage him, which I was happy to do. His brother wrote me back the sweetest note, and I want, I want especially you old deacons and new deacons to hear this. He said, thanks so much for your words of encouragement. I've been a Christian for many years, but the last five years I've really found what it means to serve the Lord. I always seemed like I just didn't have enough time and never enough money, et cetera, et cetera. I had the time, I had the money, I just didn't use it right. I now do everything I can to serve the Lord in my church. I'm the happiest and most blessed that I've ever been in my life. I never thought of being a deacon in my younger years. I've been reasonably successful. I think he was being humble. I think he's been very successful. I was a good athlete. I received a few awards, got several college degrees, worked 40 years at the VA hospital in the cardiology department, got many awards for my work there. But I'm far prouder of my deacon ordination 
than the combination of all my other earthly rewards combined. Wow. Gentlemen who are being ordained, I will start the invitation with you tonight. Where you're standing or you can come to the altar, you make a commitment that you're going to go full bore for God the rest of your life. Please don't let this be a special night that means nothing in three years. Maybe some of you other deacons, it's time to re-up your game and step back up for Christ. All of us Christians, where you're standing at the altar, certainly we need to do that. Maybe you're here and you've never given your life to Christ. Or you'd like to join the church. We'd love for you to do that. And you can do that this evening. Let's stand. Let's stand. We're going to sing at a time of invitation. As God leads you, you come.